welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to series three and this is episode one. This is where Jesus launches his preaching ministry in Galilee. We're going to use texts from Matthew, Mark and Luke to describe this event. All three of them say slightly different things about this uh, event and this process. So we're going to read them one by one and just comment on what they have to say about this very important moment uh, individually. Let's just remind ourselves of the background. John's Gospel tells us the story of uh, not only Jesus going to be baptised in the River Jordan by John, but the things that happened after then, uh, which involved not only the temptation in the wilderness, a quick return to Galilee for the wedding at Cana, but then a lot of events around uh, Jerusalem, including the first cleansing of the temple, the meeting with uh, Nicodemus, and then immediately before this event, the significant journey from Jerusalem to Galilee through Samaria, hostile territory. And during this journey, as John chapter 4 told us, and we looked at this in uh, recent episodes at the end of series 2, Jesus met a Samaritan woman and told her who he was, essentially. And then this involved a couple of days spent in a Samaritan village with Jesus, his disciples, and the Samaritan woman explaining to the villagers who Jesus was. And many of those villagers became believers in Jesus as the Messiah. So these are the events that have happened just before this. Jesus returns now to Galilee, his home territory in the north of country, uh, where his hometown Nazareth is situated right in the middle of Galilee. And he's returned with a handful of disciples, uh, Simon, Andrew, John, Philip and Nathaniel and these five are uh, to be added to later on by other disciples as we shall see. Now the interesting thing is that at this time really very few people in Galilee knew anything much about Jesus and what he'd done recently. It had all taken place in the south of the country, a long way away in and around Jerusalem, apart from the miracle at the wedding at Cana where Jesus turned the water into wine. But I think it would be fair to say that Jesus wasn't well known at this point and so this is the public launch of his ministry in Galilee where he's going to base himself for the most part for most of his time in ministry um, over the next two to three years. So therefore this is a very important moment. And the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, say slightly different things, which provide some interesting perspectives on what was going on at this particular time. We're going to start by looking at Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 17. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison... He withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, 
the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now Luke's gospel tells us a bit more about John the Baptist and his imprisonment. And in Luke chapter 3 verses 19 to 20, we read that John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he'd done. Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. We've studied the life and ministry of John the Baptist in previous episodes. But now we find he's in prison. And who is it who's put him in prison? It's the local ruler in Galilee, Herod Antipas, or Herod the Tetrarch, known generally as Herod in the Gospel accounts. Now, he had his capital in a place called Tiberias, a town on the western edge of the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee was a central feature um, of the area and a very important feature of Jesus's ministry. It's actually a freshwater lake and the waters come down from the mountains in the area of Lebanon to the north. It's 13 kilometers wide and 21 kilometers long at the longest point, a huge reservoir of fresh water, wonderful fishing stock and a tremendously important supply of fresh water for irrigation and farming. It was a fertile area in central Galilee. And Herod had his palace in the town of Tiberias uh, on the western side of the lake, overlooking this beautiful lake and looking up to the mountains behind. And Jesus, who started out in Nazareth, his hometown, it says he had moved to Capernaum. Capernaum was a fishing village about 15 or 16 kilometers north of Tiberias, on the edge of the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. It was a beautiful place and a center of the local fishing industry. And so Jesus set up his headquarters in Capernaum very close to Herod Antipas, Herod the ruler, the very person who'd imprisoned John the Baptist and probably incarcerated him in one of his hillside fortresses uh, much further south. So there's a strange contrast between Jesus and Herod. They're right there nearby each other uh, when Jesus starts his ministry, but there's no record of them ever having met until the last week of Jesus's life. And there's no record of Jesus ever going to the capital town of Tiberias. So that's just an interesting fact. These two rulers, as it were, were side by side. The kingdom of God was coming through Jesus and Herod's kingdom was in place nearby during this time 
A little bit later, of course, Herod executed John the Baptist, as we'll see later on. But this passage is particularly significant for the fact that it quotes from Isaiah chapter 9. And I want to now turn to Isaiah chapter 9 uh, just to discuss briefly the things that Matthew sees being fulfilled in the life of Jesus and in his ministry in Galilee. This is what I call a direct prophecy. The Old Testament prophesies an event directly in the New Testament. And Galilee is the focus. But I'm now going to just read the extended passage from which Matthew quotes, just to get a feel of the bigger picture. And as I read this text, I'm just going to pause as I go through and comment on a couple of things, just so you get a feel of it. The text is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Some of it you may be familiar with. Nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he, God, humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honour Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. In this opening section, the prophet Isaiah says of this particular area, and by the way, Zebulun and Naphtali are two of the tribes of Israel whose territory is in Galilee. So they symbolically represent the Galilee area. He says that this land, Galilee, has been humbled in the past, but it will be exalted uh, in the future. It will be honoured in the future. And the prophet Isaiah is referring to the fact that about 700 BC, the northern part of Israel, especially Galilee, was taken over by the Assyrians. They conquered the country, they abolished the kingdom there, and they uh, deported large numbers of residents. And this is the humbling that's spoken of. This land was humbled by the Assyrian invaders about 700 years earlier. But then the prophet Isaiah says, but in the future, that very same land that was humbled will be honoured because something special is going to happen in Galilee. Bearing in mind that Galilee was not a favoured district in the nation of Israel. Most people believe that the real important things happened in the south of the country, in Judea and around the capital city of Jerusalem. This was the northern district. But prophetically, Isaiah says, this is going to be honoured, this place. And then he goes on to explain how this place is going to be honoured. He explains how a light is going to come. But let's just follow through the prophecy beyond what Matthew quotes and see the full significance of it. Whenever a New Testament writer or a gospel writer quotes an Old Testament text, they're always inviting you to look at the wider context and not just the exact quotation. And that's uh, what we're going to do here to get the fullest possible meaning. Verse two, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy and they rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, 
You have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning or be fuel for the fire. For, to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So Isaiah the prophet is pinpointing Galilee as the place where a light is going to dawn that will change the fortunes of the nation through the birth of a child who will be a unique child who turns out to be a successor of King David who will take the throne of Israel become the ruler in the country spiritually and his kingdom will extend from the time he arrives right the way through the rest of history. That's an amazingly expansive prophecy and it speaks of the time Jesus comes right the way through to the modern age where we are now and into the future beyond us when his kingdom will uh, be ruling across the whole earth. Your kingdom come uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Do you remember that phrase from the Lord's Prayer? Well, that's basically what's being prophesied here. And so Matthew sees tremendous significance in the fact that Jesus is from Galilee. That's his home in Nazareth. That's the place he's going to operate. It's the place we're going to talk about for the most part, for the rest of this um, study, Jesus' visits to Jerusalem are occasional until the last week of his life, the week of his death and his resurrection. So there are a few comments from Matthew's account. Now Mark, who is characteristically brief, adds something important about the message of Jesus. Matthew says he starts to preach, but uh, Mark defines this a little bit more precisely. So Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. There's some interesting components to this message. First of all, the time has come. What time is this? This is the prophetic timing of God. God always planned for his son to come and be revealed to Israel and to bring salvation to the world. But no one quite knew when that time was going to be. But it was the conviction of the gospel writers and of Jesus himself and of Paul the Apostle, for example, that Jesus came at exactly the right time. For example, 
Paul says in Galatians 4, verse 4, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. When the time had fully come. Not only was it the right time, but the reality of what was happening wasn't just Jesus coming to speak and talk to people and hope to change a few lives. No, there was something much more profound going on. And the second phrase describes it. The kingdom of God has come near. Now, the kingdom of God is a very important theme in the Bible. God is seen as the ruler and king of all creation and of all humanity. But when King David was appointed the king of Israel, it was prophesied in 2 Samuel 7 verse 16 that he would be the first of a permanent dynasty, a permanent kingdom or an eternal kingdom, the first king, and that his successors would inherit his kingdom. And we begin to see now here that the successor to David is Jesus. We, we noted when we studied the genealogies of Jesus, how he's connected to King David through both his stepfather's line and his mother's line. And he is described as the son of David uh, a number of times in, in the Gospels. And so he inherits the kingdom of God and he brings the kingdom of God to earth in a special and a new way, not just ruling over the nation of Israel, but actually establishing God's rule throughout the whole world. That's basically what Jesus came to do. And he says clearly the kingdom of God has come near. As we go through the Gospels, we'll see Jesus time and again explaining what the kingdom of God is. And there's much to say about that, which we'll talk about in subsequent episodes. But we just need to note here that God's kingdom is coming. That means that people, men and women from all different nationalities and races, will decide to come under the authority of God through Jesus Christ, through believing in the gospel and through joining his church, through being baptised, through becoming disciples and becoming his agents in this world. And so what we see is that this kingdom will spread. That was the point made in Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 to 7. And the, the second half of that passage makes it very clear that his kingdom will grow and continue um, from that time forward permanently until the end of this age. And that's exactly what is happening. The kingdom of God is coming in this world. There are more and more and more people who are accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, becoming part of his church. His church is growing. Now it's growing in a situation of conflict and difficulty and often persecution and suffering. That is another very important reality which I don't want to undermine in any way because the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world, they grow together and they're often in tension with each other. 
But what's happening in this world is the kingdom is growing in order that when Jesus comes again, he can receive his kingdom and bring it to completion and make it visible and obvious to everyone. That won't happen until the second coming of Jesus, which we'll talk about more in later episodes because Jesus teaches about that on a number of occasions, particularly towards the end of his life. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repentance is a key word in Christianity. We've already looked at it when we looked at the message of John the Baptist. It means changing your life, changing your mind. So it affects the mind, the actions and the inner heart and motivations. It's a fundamental inner transformation. Change your mind and your actions, uh, Jesus is saying, and believe the good news. The good news that Jesus is the Son of God and has come to bring salvation to those who will receive him. Let's now turn to Luke's account. We're going to Luke chapter 4 verses 14 to 15. Whereas Mark centered on the message, Luke's account focuses on the impact of Jesus's ministry. Luke 4 verses 14 to 15. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. Notice here that Luke emphasizes he came in the power of the Spirit. This is something that Luke makes a very clear point of. And if you look at Luke 4 generally, you'll notice that when Jesus went into the wilderness, Luke 4 verse 1, it says he was full of the Holy Spirit who had been given to him in power at his baptism when the Holy Spirit came down on him in the form of a dove. So chapter 4 verse 1, he was full of the Holy Spirit as he went into the wilderness. And then uh, later on, In verse 14, when he returned to Galilee, he was coming in the power of the Holy Spirit with the dynamic energy of the Holy Spirit. And this led to uh, miracles beginning to happen, which we'll see in subsequent episodes. And it sees him traveling around. So he didn't just stand in one place and proclaim this message in the middle of Capernaum, which was his base. No, he traveled around from place to place. And he started by preaching in the synagogues. A synagogue is a Jewish place of worship. If the Jews were unable to get to the Jewish temple, which most of them were for obvious geographical reasons, then for several hundred years by this time, they'd been building local places of worship called synagogues, where the men in particular were called to weekly worship on the Jewish day of worship, Saturday or the Sabbath. And Jesus had grown up worshipping in the synagogue in Nazareth. We'll find out more about that in a subsequent episode when he returns there for a dramatic event. He'd grown up in the synagogues and now he started to preach in them. People invited him in, a local man who seemed to have something special about him, spiritually, something prophetic. He was invited in. And so his message 
began to spread. And shortly after that, we hear that miracles begin to happen. So here are three different perspectives on the same event. As we're going through uh, the Gospels, studying the life of Jesus, usually I take one passage. If there are uh, more than one account of the same event, I'll generally take the fullest account and speak to you from that account, but keeping in mind what the other writers say if they comment on it. On this occasion, it seemed better because all the accounts are very brief and very different to just spend a little bit of time on all three. And our purpose is to integrate all the four Gospels for you so you can see the continual story, you can see the themes developing, you can see what's happening step by step, and you can see how the Gospels relate to each other. And this is a good example where these three writers emphasise different things in their writing. Matthew emphasises the prophetic significance of Galilee and Jesus coming by quoting from Isaiah. Mark describes in more detail the exact key points in Jesus's message. And Luke emphasises the power of the Holy Spirit and the growing impact of Jesus as he becomes well known for the first time in his home district of Galilee. A few reflections to conclude. I love this expression, the time has come. That means that this is literally the turning point in history in terms of salvation and the offer of forgiveness through Christ to the rest of the world. This is the turning point. Up until this point, the focus of God's actions has been primarily on the people of Israel. He has been shaping them, preparing them, disciplining them, blessing them, giving them prophets, giving them more revelation about him, giving them a number of different covenants. And it's all been a preparation process for this exact moment when the time has come for that process to move to another phase, which is from Israel through Jesus and his immediate Jewish followers, the apostles and others, the gospel message is going to go out into the whole world. So we're looking here at the turning point in the history of salvation. And you and I are living in the good of the fact that this message came then and was spread very quickly, far away from the land of Israel to every uh, nation where there was opportunity to reach them. My second reflection is to note again something that Luke often emphasises. The power of the Holy Spirit is essential. We've spoken in recent episodes about being born of the Spirit, about the Spirit's activity at Jesus's baptism, about Jesus speaking to the Samaritan woman and saying that God the Father is looking for those who worship in spirit and in truth. And here we see that Jesus came in the power of the Spirit. This is a very strong expression. The Greek word underlying that speaks of dynamic energy, dynamic energy to get things done, to do miracles. And we're going to see a lot of that dynamic energy operating through Christ. Now, as this kingdom of God 
against established through Jesus and his followers, it will be opposed. It will be opposed by the religious authorities in Jerusalem. We'll see that from time to time as the story unfolds. It will be opposed by local people who don't like Jesus's message. And it will be opposed by spiritual forces of darkness that don't want the gospel to be known and to be spread. These are themes that will develop in subsequent episodes. But for now, we just pause and we reflect on the fact that in this episode, the public official ministry of Jesus, his claims uh, on people's allegiance have been made abundantly clear. There is no going back from this point. Everything is pushing forward and advancing the message by all means possible. I hope to see you in future episodes as we continue this story. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.